folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into our first official episode of Tuesday Morning Left Guard with former Minnesota Viking offensive lineman Jeremiah Searles. And Jeremiah, we have to start out with you discovering that the Minnesota Vikings are bad because it's kind of a fun story. In fact, I think that there are some Vikings fans who will be jealous of you. So why don't you explain how you discovered the Vikings are not good at football through the first two weeks? Yeah, so last Friday, so the Friday before week one, um, I left for a basically an eight to nine day elk hunting trip completely off the grid in Colorado. Cell service, I couldn't get cell service if I wanted to, and I was totally okay with it. So we did the pre-show last week talking about how Vikings, Packers, are, and I thought that, you know, I think the Vikes can win this game if they do the right things, and I think that they have a chance, and I know we're a little, like, young in spots, blah, 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 blah. So I go on my elk hunting trip. I, I even on Sunday I'm sitting in the elk blind. I'm like, I wonder how the Vikings did today. Like I bet you they won. So then I get back out and so I go through the rest of my week and I get back and so I'm driving home yesterday from uh, Taponis, to, to Colorado, middle of nowhere. So I get up through and into Wyoming where I finally get some good cell service and I was like, let's check in on my bikes. So I pull up like, well, let's see how they did last week. 43 points, I believe, was the points <laughs> that they allowed the Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to score. So I was like, oh, my, that's that's not very good. That's actually terrible. And then so then they were actually playing. And so I pull up the score like, well, how are they doing today? And it was the middle of the fourth quarter. And I was like, also terrible. <laughs> so this is, uh, yeah, so I instantly called, I called Matt here. And I was like, what is going on? Like, what am I walking into here? What, what are we looking at? He goes, you're going to need to watch the tape. You're, you're just going to need to watch this tape and see for yourself because I, uh, he's like, I can't tell you what I'm looking at here. It's just bad. So I was able to not live with that Packers loss for a week, which Vikings fans probably are jealous because I'm sure you guys were nice. And it, Well, I got to ask you this, Matt. Is the sky falling in Minneapolis right now? 
Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the tank for Trevor thing is all <laughs> over the place. Uh, you know, it is really interesting, though, because after week one, it was like, oh, what a terrible loss, and can't believe that the Packers are still that much better than us, and the defense is going to be bad and everything else. But I think if they had beaten the Indianapolis Colts and played a good game on offense, everyone would have went, okay, all right, it was weird circumstances, no OTAs and excuses or whatever, and Rodgers got hot and maybe Zimmer didn't realize how bad the corners were going to be and and so forth. And and then you could sort of sell yourself on, hey, you get a win against Tennessee at home where you should win, and then you go to Houston. They're not very good. They traded their best wide receiver, so they're going to lose a lot of games. And then all of a sudden you convince yourself, hey, this could actually be a pretty fun season. But the way that they lost to the Indianapolis Colts, if it had been a three-point loss, a field goal at the end of the game or something, I think everyone would have went, okay, well, this might not be a great season, but it could still be fun. After that, it was, this is not even going to be fun. This is just going to be painful. So let's talk about, to start, what went wrong, and then we can see if we could try to fix it. So after you watch the tape, uh, let's just start with the offensive and defensive line. That was my analysis after watching it back. Not Not good. good. Not good. good. You tell me which one you want to start with, offensive or defensive line. Let's start with the defensive line so my blood pressure has risen nice and high by the time we get to the (laughs) O-line. Okay, so, so well, let, let's just begin with this. Yannick Ngakwe was good. He did his job. Not, uh, not, see, I'm going to disagree with you. Okay, all I right. I disagree with you. All right. Because well, his one strip sack, if you watch the tape, is on a cadence issue on the offense. Okay. The left tackle is still in his stance, in his stance when Yannick takes off. Bam. Strip sack, they get the ball back, and you see Chad Kelly and Philip Rivers talking back and forth like, oh, I thought it was on this, no, it was on this. Back and forth, and so I, I don't count that. That's a garbage sack. Like, that's a stat pattern. Like, yeah, he's going to go up as a sack fumble. It's going to look great. But if you watch the tape and you look at it, he didn't get there. He got there because of a cadence issue on the offense. And that was really kind of the only time he got there all day, in my opinion. Um, I think that the big thing is, as I'm watching this tape, is the one thing that's not jumping off the screen to me is, like, there's no constant pressure. I mean, you're so used to it's Everson or it's Daniil or it's Brian Robinson or it's Tom Johnson or even Linville pushing up the middle, right? Like, and there's just no, I mean, Phil had all day to throw back there. And I didn't get to grind through the whole Green Bay tape, but I'm going to assume it was a lot of the same. I'm going to assume it was a lot of the same because if you Aaron Rodgers puts up 43 points, it means he wasn't getting pressured. It means he wasn't getting hammered. Like he wasn't getting thrown to the turf and all that fun stuff. And then you even look at, okay, well, how are they trying to generate a pass rush? Well, they put Anthony Barr at brush in. And, I mean, I love Anthony, and I think that even he's going to be the first one to tell you that's not really where he wants to be or where he feels like he's best at, and now he's gone. So now you've got to dig even deeper into the bag of tricks to create a pass rush because, as you said, alluded, the corners are a mess. I mean, they're all over the place. And so if you don't have a very good generated pass rush, your corners are kind of getting left out to dry, and you go against two Hall of Fame quarterbacks back-to-back, week-to-week, those corners' confidence couldn't be any lower. So I think the first thing is the complete lack of pass rush generated by everyone on there. Afadi had some good rushes where, again, we talked about he's going to be a power rush guy, right? Punch into him, punch into him, punch into him. He just never really got to wear him down. I mean, I think the Colts only ran, like, 45 plays. Or, no, it might have been the Vikings only ran 45. Yeah, something Vikings, like that. Yeah, the Vikings, yeah, the Vikings only, only ran yeah. 45 plays, so that defense was fresh. But, but the, you, Rivers didn't pass a ton, though. They mostly just ran the ball over and over right. and over and over again. Right, and if you can do that, then that's demoralizing because 
this defense is built. It was built, at least while I was there for my three years, and even the last two years, to rush the passer. It was built to create negative plays on first and second down, get them in third and longs, and turn those freaking werewolves loose, right? That was the formula, and it worked great. And so I think Zimmer's going to have to basically rinse and repeat and wipe it clean and start over because nothing's working for them right now. The lack of a big nose guard that can eat up a double team. I mean, I was talking to you a little bit uh, when we called yesterday, the fact that you do not have to single block anyone or double block anyone on this front anymore in the run game. Centers can handle Shamar, the three techniques. I mean, Quentin Nelson threw Jaleel Johnson to the ground, I don't know, half a dozen times. He threw everyone. I mean, he throws everyone away. He's the best guard in football. But, I mean, you don't have to double anymore. So, Anthony Barr, Eric Hendrick, Eric Wilson, I don't care who you throw at linebacker, they've never dealt with free-running offensive linemen just rushing to them right off the ball. They've always had them fighting through a Linville, fighting through a Shamar at a three technique where I think he's the better player. They've been having to fight through Tom because he's so quick and he's trying to skinny through people. And Daniil and Everson, they've really got to make sure they chip those guys as tackles, not just give them all the tight ends so they can block. And I didn't see any of that. I just saw guys literally leaving a hand and running. And so they're on Eric and they're on Anthony and they're on Eric or uh, Kendricks before they even have to make a read. The lack of stoutness at the point of attack for us I think is going to be something that we're really going to struggle with in the run game all year this year for the defensive line. Lack of stoutness is a great Lack way to stoutness. describe well, it's just something football in general. But So here's one thought that comes to mind for me because there's two different minds to look at this through. There's through the big picture of, well, you're going to get 14 more weeks of figuring out if anyone can make progress any of the guys who have not played a whole lot in their careers your Joliel Johnson or your Jalen Holmes or DJ Wanham got in the game guys yep. like that and you're going to see where that goes but then there's also the maybe we circle back and say you know Snacks Harrison was a free agent and there were a couple other guys who are proven nose tackles that were free agents and instead you say no Shamar will be fine going from a three technique that mostly plays on first and second down and stuffs the run which I think is a role he's fine in to now you have to play every single snap over the center and be a nose tackle nose guard and you have to handle this role that Linval had for so long and that you were about to pay Michael Pierce 27 million dollars to have that's just not really fair to Shamar so there, there's kind of those two ways to look at it is you know you're finding out what you have with these with these D linemen but Shamar is a veteran who you already know what you have there and I think Maybe they talk themselves into it. He'll be fine at that position, but it's not really fine. Yeah, I mean, he backed up Linville for those first two years before he went to Seattle as the nose guard, and he probably averaged 15 snaps a game at nose guard, and he did fine. But there's a huge difference of averaging 15 snaps and being asked to be the base nose guard in a 4-3 over cover two defense. It You have to have – that's like – you start looking at, like, most important pieces of a defense of that, and it literally is like – Roving safety, Mike linebacker, nose guard, like in that order. And you have to have those in order to have a successful defense because you're built to have that Mike linebacker make 150, 200 tackles a year, right? That's what we're used to seeing. Kendrick's being able to do that, but he can do that because that nose guard eats a guard and a tackle every single time. Every run play, they have to because if they don't, then the guard, the nose tackle is going to whip the crap out of the center and make a play in the backfield. And I think that's one thing. I, again, I didn't watch week one, but week two is there was no negative plays. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. There was no, like, you're so used to seeing a flash and boom, negative minus run or sack or a, 
a PBU. I mean, it just seemed like the lack of negative plays, especially up front by the D-line and, and the linebackers was very, very apparent because you're so used to seeing it over and over and over again because it's happened for so many years. So my question on the D-line is how much longer do you give some of the guys who are showing you that they're in over their head? And I mean Jaleel Johnson and Jalen Holmes specifically. Like these guys just don't look like successful draft picks. And this is part of the bigger picture of the recent Vikings is in 2015, you have one of the best drafts in the NFL, if not the best draft that year. And you get Daniil Hunter, Stephon Diggs, Trey Wayans, and Eric Hendricks. And my gosh, I mean, you got pro bowlers and a quality starter all in one draft. Since then, there is nothing that's been, been even close. They haven't landed a fourth or a fifth round pick who becomes a star or anything like that. And some of these project defensive linemen that they've picked, Afadi has turned into a, an NFL caliber player, but I think some of the other guys haven't. And I guess in my mind, I would rather see DJ Wanham, who's their recent draft pick play, or even James Lynch, who got whipped in training camp, but that's not any different than what's happening right now. So I wonder if you think that after watching that, that there's that it's worth giving it a little more time or if they should just start putting in the youngest people. I mean, I think eventually you're going to, you're going to become forced to a point if you're Mike Zimmer and you're Andre Patterson and you're sitting there going, what do we do? It's not like it's too late in the season to be like, well, we just got to ride this out. Right, it's not that point where you're late in the season. Maybe you've had some guys get hurt, and you're like, "We're just going to ride these guys out to the end and regroup." Like it's week two, going into week three. Like there is so much more to figure out, and I think at this point you nailed it. Like it's not going to get much worse. Like I don't think if you throw those guys in there, it's going to be a huge like off the cliff drop off between a Jaleel Johnson and a rookie. You know what I mean? Like I don't think that that's what you're looking at. I mean, and so. I think that you'll see some more guys get rotated in there next week. Um, I think, but again, it comes down to, you got to remember too, how many guys can you dress? Right. Like do you start, do you start rolling the dice and not even dressing some of the guys that are playing right now and say, we're going to dress the young guys and let them play because that's a disaster waiting to happen too, where if all of a sudden it really is that disastrous cliff drop off, right. Where all of a sudden it's like this dude's getting pancaked every other play or he's not in his gap or he doesn't know his assignment or any of that. Like, and you don't have someone to come back in. So that's kind of a little piece of how long do we ride this out before you just basically hit the eject button on some of these guys. I think they have probably another couple of weeks before the true, you sit the bench, you don't dress. We're dressing James Lynch. We're dressing these guys. Like I think we have a couple more weeks before we see that, but I don't think we're super far away. And there's certainly the confidence issue of if you put in a James Lynch who's changing positions from college and he gets absolutely destroyed, that that could be a pretty bad start for him. Um, speaking of absolutely destroyed, on the offensive line, there was the there was the question about whether Drew Samia should be playing over Pat Elfline. And last week I said on the show, hey, you know what? If you think it can't be worse, it actually can. And it was. And this is, again, this goes back to the bigger picture where I'm not saying for sure that Drew Samia is a bust and he's never going to be able to play in the NFL. But for that week, he was so far in over his head against DeForest Buckner and the Colts defensive line. And guess what? Oh, it gets way easier against Jadavian Clowney and J.J. Watt, the next two guys you're going to be able to face. And guess who they're going to game plan to rush those guys over after seeing DeForest Buckner rip apart Drew Samia? Probably him. Uh, and and it, it just speaks to this team has drafted a lot of these guys that you can see the process behind it. He played for Oklahoma. He's a big, giant, violent guy, and, and this should work. And a lot of times it just hasn't. 
And now I'm looking at that right guard position from below average with Pat trying to move positions to now uh, replacement level or worse, where it could be if Drew Samia doesn't take a huge step forward. And what's Kirk Cousins' biggest kryptonite? Interior pressure. And I, I just don't see a situation where interior pressure stops coming at Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I mean, Fork Bussner, he had his way with basically both those guards last week. Um, it really didn't matter who he lined up against. And he is one of the Pro Bowl. I mean, he's one of the top-notch players at that position. But if you're going to play offensive line in this league, you're going to see those guys week in and week out. Like, it's not like, oh, once a week or once every four weeks, I'm going to go against this guy and draw the star around him. And No, it's every week, man. Like the three technique position is becoming one of the best positions in football. You start looking around, people have started realizing, like Kirk Cousins, the kryptonite of a quarterback is getting in his face and right in his face, not off the edges, not running by him, like big body in his face quickly. And DeVore Buster is one of those guys that can do that. I mean, he helped the 49ers get to the Super Bowl last year because of it, right? I mean, he's one of those guys that is just incredible. And to watch him toss – not run over, toss Drew Samia was that's, – that's one of those where you're watching that in the meeting room and you kind of sink down into your chair a little bit <laughs> and you kind of don't really want to look around. And the coach doesn't really know what to say because he wants to rip your ass, but at the same time, like, he doesn't want to just, like, do it in front of everyone. So you kind of do the – you do the – you know what you did here, right? It's like, yeah, I got my feet parallel. I stood up too tall and I overset him and he just made me look like a rag doll. <laughs> and then you kind of hope to move on and never talk about it again. But the problem is that now went viral all over Instagram, all right. over Twitter. And so it's one of those things of can he mentally handle the bounce back from it? Or is this something that, guess what? He's going to see that move again. He's going to see it again. It, it's You put it on tape. Sperano always just telling me, like, hey, you put that on tape. You put that on tape for all the other people to see, like, how are you going to fix that this week? And that's really important, it, for, especially for a young player, is if you put something on tape, and this goes for any position, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, quarterback, like what you put on tape is who you are. And so if you put that on tape, what are you going to do now to make sure that that doesn't happen to you again? Because if you put it on tape again, then it's really coming after you. Like you have a week to fix it. So can he fix the hump move? That's what that's called. I mean, Reggie Wayne was famous for it and made a lot of people look really stupid for it. Reggie White, you mean? Reggie White, excuse me. Reggie White. And so, I mean, it was that exact move, right? How many times have you seen that highlight tape of him just the club and freaking see you out the club? So he's going to see it again. J.J. Watt's going to try and do it to him. J.J. Watt's good at it. He's got long arms. He's got good levers. And you set it up throughout the game, and you usually only use it once, right? Speed rush, speed rush, speed rush, speed rush. Wham! Come back inside. So can he fix it? I mean, the other piece, too, was he really struggled in his angles in the run game. Uh, He really struggled. If he was running an outside zone, he was on the backside. He hung way too long on that interior D lineman instead of taking a good angle to cut off the linebacker, one of which right at the beginning of the second half, he had to go try and cut off the Mike linebacker and Leonard, who's a I mean, damn good player. And he went to try and he stabbed and Leonard just ran through and smoked Alvin Cook right in the backfield. I mean, everyone remembered it was a big, it would have been one of the crowd. If there was a crowd, boo. <laughs> and I mean, so he really struggled on his run game reads. And as a backside lineman and even on the front side, he just, he didn't really get off the linebackers really well, um, which I thought him and Dozier both struggled at at times. Want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. They just launched their official collaboration with Bud Grant. Yes, Bud 
Grant. You can now get your official Bud Grant shirt and Man Cave art print. If you haven't seen it yet, you have to check it out, and we're going to hook you up with free shipping for your order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That is SOTASTIC, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Get back to the conversation in just a minute, but first, Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders, they call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going the extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So, now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. And and this takes you to, again, backward before we go forward is, I mean, this team and guards, my gosh. I mean, it's not just the guys that they've signed in the past that haven't worked out, although Josh Klein looked like Larry Allen compared to Drew Samia. Uh, at least Josh Klein, and it must be an injury issue for why he doesn't have a team, because it, at least he was competent at that position and knew the proper techniques and how to play the spot and how to do outside zone blocking and so forth because he had done it for a very long time. So at least you got competent run blocking, and every once in a while, yeah, he got picked up and run back into the quarterback, but at the same time, he didn't get thrown there as a 300-pound man the same way that Drew Samia did. And this is where we say, all right, maybe just carve out a little tiny bit of that cap space for a veteran. Like, was Ron Leary busy this season? I mean, you're going with Dakota Dozier, who's never started before in his life. Pat Elfline switching positions. Elfline gets hurt, and your backup option for him is a guy who looks like he can't play. Uh, that, that he looks like he's a liability out there for you. And all of a sudden it, it goes from, boy, this interior, the offensive line is going to be tough to this. It can't be worse than this. Uh, and now here's Garrett Bradbury trying to make progress in his second season as a guy who should have a long NFL career based on his draft status, but he had a rough first year. The best thing you could have done for him is given him some help with those guards. And instead you make it much worse. So now he is not getting some guidance from Josh Klein. He's got to drag Drew Samia's ass. And it's just like, I don't think they set up one of their future pieces very well here beyond just the fact that you made it really tough on your quarterback who freaks out at interior pressure. Yeah. And I will say this. I think that technique wise, I think Garrett Bradbury looks much better. Um, I think that his technique in the run game where his, his footwork, his hand placement, his hat placement looks much better. Um, still a little struggle in the, in the bull rush, right? He still, he got pushed back a little bit. And then he also, much to your point, he's trying to do too much in the past game as far as helping his guards. There is one point where he's setting to the right, like we talked about. It's a protection where it's supposed to be a three-man slide to the right and the money side's on the left. And he slides to the right and he sees Dakota getting beat a little bit. So he comes off his guy to try and come back and help to the left. And Drew's standing there looking at the linebacker, and all of a sudden this guy splits him, and he's right in Kirk's face. Or there's a twist game coming, and, and it's away from the slide, and, and Garrett sees it, and he's trying to try and block two guys with one hand. He ends up blocking nobody, right? But that's just because I can see it in the tape. He's trying to do too much because he really does think that he has to make up for the problems that they're having at the guard position right now. 
And as a center, that's really hard to do because you see the guy flying by you on your left or you see the guy creasing you on your left. and You know you have to stay to the right. And it's really hard to not try and just bump that guy or take a shot off that guy. But you end up screwing both guys and then you look really silly. So I think that's something that they're going to talk with him about. Is like, hey, man, you just got to do your job. Like, I know it's really hard to like, but you got to do your job. You're sliding to the right, stay to the right. Very simple. I thought he got some good push in the run game. Um, his hustle, very good hustle. I like that they're pulling him. There were some good pull plays with him getting out on the perimeter and getting a chance for him to get out and show his athleticism. Uh, he missed a read one time. I mean, it was early in the game, that first drive, maybe the second drive. They pulled Dakota and they pulled Garrett, and Dakota kicked the guy out, and Garrett tried to circle him. If he would have just came up inside, he could have cut the middle linebacker, but a big game for Dallin Cook. Um, but I think those are things that – He's growing still, but I think he's trending in the right direction. It will be hard for him, like you said, playing next to two very inexperienced guards where, I mean, every time I was playing, even guards, I got to play next to someone who started for a long time so I could lean on them. I mean, I think Garrett's now the guy that's getting leaned on, and that's a lot for a year two center. I mean, that's a lot for a guy that's still really growing and developing and not hitting his stride yet. So it might hamper his growth or it might accelerate his growth. You know, he might then take that as a responsibility, like, I need to do more. Like, I need to study more. I need to be da-da-da. Or it can try to drain on him, and it might take a couple seasons or it might take a little bit off this season for his growth. I mean, only time will tell with that. But I am pleased with the progress that I saw on tape of his technique. I think in the year 2028, when they finally get some guards, <laughs> he'll be super pleased that it, this this experience will pay off. <laughs> well, by that time, he'll move on because he'll be too expensive and they have no money, and then they're going to have to let him go and draft another center and start all over again. Well, let's talk about how to fix it because I, I can't get to tank for Trevor in week two. No. And there's also – I mean, so really when it comes down to that, the only conversation to have for Tank for Trevor is when you get to the trade deadline and it's do you trade an Anthony Harris? Do you even consider trading a Yannick Ngakwe if you don't want to pay him and you decide, eh, after we've seen a sample of this, we don't want to give him that massive contract, so we're going to move him? Or, I mean, Kyle Rudolph, for example. Like, would Rudolph want to go to a Super Bowl contender late in his career and maybe there's a team that needs a tight end? So that that conversation will happen if they continue to trend the way that they have the first two weeks. Let's talk about it, though, in the next couple of minutes of how they can beat the next couple of opponents because the Tennessee Titans have shown some weaknesses in their first few weeks. They barely got by Denver. They barely got by Jacksonville. They don't look like a juggernaut just yet. And then Houston, even though they've had a tough schedule, they've gotten whooped against Kansas city and Baltimore. And Hey, it turns out number one receivers who are amazing are good at football and help you. Um, Not that that's a message to the Vikings at all. So, uh, but, but, but this is, this is my thing though, Jeremiah, is that when you look at the player, on offense aside from the guards which are a miserable mess Delvin Cook really good Adam Thielen really good Irv Smith Jr. showed last year he can really play Rudolph can still play I mean there's too many good players on this offensive side and the tackles I think are both fine if if not good in Brian O'Neill's case so I mean what what can they do to not have a 15 quarterback rating and to because if they're going to win, I think we know it has to be in shootouts. It's not going to be a 17-13. And Mike Zimmer even said, we've got to change our philosophy here. Yep. We can't just hold on to the ball all the time and then play defense. That's Parcells' ball ain't going to work now with this team. So what can they do on the offensive side to get into some of those shootouts and to at least make it, I think, at very least entertaining for fans to watch over these next couple of weeks? 
Yeah, I think the big thing is they want to run play action as much as they can, right? And you saw that. I mean, first first cousin completion was a big play action rollout, and he hit Thielen on the sideline. And so I think that you got to go back to the well a little bit on you got to die on the runs so that you can live on the pass on the play action. I mean, a first and second down, four yard, two yard. You're now looking at third and five is a lot better than let's try and do a drop back and now we're sitting at second and ten. And so I think that the way you can help this offense, at least, is trying to keep them on schedule. Um, this offense looks pretty good, and they look like they can be sufficient if they don't get behind the sticks. If they if they can stay in second and seven plus and get to a third and six plus or a third and five, I think that they'll be all right. The problem is, okay, the question becomes, how do you get there? I think a lot of it is I like the pin-pull aspect of this deep offense. I think that if you have trouble pounding it up the middle with your interior offensive linemen, you got to find ways to get it on the perimeter. So how do you get it on the perimeter in different creative ways? In my opinion, I think the outside zone is a great play. It's a great way, weak or strong, to get it on the perimeter, let Dalvin make a guy miss, or maybe let him race a guy to the corner and get four, right? The other way I think, and I liked it, is pulling Brian O'Neill, pulling Garrett Bradbury, pulling Riley Reef, getting guys on the perimeter, giving those linebackers a lot of eye candy to look at, and then have Dalvin do Dalvin things, right? Get the ball in your playmaker's hands. And then off of that, off those perimeter runs, I think you then got to go to the play action, right? And I'm not saying the play action deep to Thielen at a 80 yards, right? Like be okay with dumping it to Irv Smith in the flat and let him do his thing, right? I think we, we all have to understand this is not going to be a throw the ball 60 times a game type of team. If they're doing that, we're going to get killed. This has got to be a throw the ball 25 to 30 times a game and nine to 10 of that is play action. And it's play action because then that opens up the run game. And this has to be a pound the rock, CJ Ham, Dalvin Cook, three tight end sets and die with it before you can, I mean, I think we tried to run before we could walk on offense here. And I think we got to go back to basics here before we're going to try and go back to the shootout guns Get back to the conversation just a second, but even though sports took a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts at all. Plus, Indeed provides you with powerful tools to make your search even easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, and with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates that you will see fast try indeed with free $75 credit at indeed.com slash blue wire this is their best offer anytime available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply offer valid through September 30th so interesting uh, statistically Kirk Cousins has only run play action on 17% of his dropbacks so far this year last year it was over 30% and Part of that is you're down in games, and I know with Green Bay, you're going out of the shotgun and trying to throw it down the field and so forth. But 
if that's where you're at, he had only run maybe two play actions at all in the first three quarters in Green Bay when they were still in the game. And then they come out in the opening game script and they run a couple of play actions, have success, and it just didn't seem like they went back to it. The other part that is a failure that I am really surprised by is not throwing Delvin Cook the football. Like, mm. it, it, if it was – me and I'm not Every Gary fantasy owner that has Dallas I know, right now is going preach. Yes, yes. If but I'm not Gary Kubiak and I don't have Super Bowl rings or anything <laughs> like that. But just from my own thought process here, if you lose Stephon Diggs in the offseason, you don't make that up by just drafting a guy. You don't make that up by a seventh rounder taking his position. That's just not, not how it's gonna work. Who is the best person with the football in his hands? on this team, it's Dalvin Cook. And so that means turn him into Christian McCaffrey. It's not like Christian McCaffrey runs, you know, 40-yard posts or something. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is often running little, you know, flat routes and things like that and and, uh, little option routes. Those are ways to get him the ball in his hands because Carolina doesn't have a, a ton of amazing receiver talent, or at least over the last few years. Well, you're kind of in that position now, and to not use Delvin at least on the other side of the line of scrimmage from time to time and throwing him the ball, I think is a fail. And so if Kubiak is doing it kind of the same way, we're only going to throw some screens, well, your offensive linemen all of a sudden aren't that great at those screens because Elfline, that was one thing he could do really well. So He's really if, good in space. If, if I'm Zimmer, I'm going into the meetings this week saying, if Delvin Cook doesn't touch the ball 30 times, then everyone can just not show up the next week. I mean, that, to me, that would be the big thing. We just paid him. Give him the football. I mean, more than just I-formation handoffs where the guards are getting blown up. Find a way. Run the guy on a jet sweep or something. Like, he can do a lot of things. Uh, In Florida State, they line him up as a receiver sometimes and send him down the field. Like, there are things this guy can do that they're just not maximizing here. Yeah, I think think that's a huge piece of it is you've got to get the ball in your playmaker's hands. And I think that the screen game is something that they just got to keep grinding on because the great thing about a screen game and the teams that are great at screens, right? You start thinking about them, the Kansas City Smith or Kansas City Chiefs, you look at the Baltimore Ravens are really good with them. It's because it slows the pass rush down a ton. I mean if you got I mean why do you think the Vikings last couple of years have gotten screened to death? Right? I mean on defense, like mm-hmm. every team you knew it was coming two or three times a game on a third and big situation, there was gonna be some type of screen because they knew that you had four true pass rushers I mean, the D tackles are usually the ones that, like, kind of get stood up at the line of scrimmage and then chase down the screen. Like, those are the guys that you make it. Well, when the Vikings would put in four defensive ends, they don't think screen. They just think, like, I mean, blind dog in a meat house, right? Run <laughs> to the ball. And so they just run, and so we get screened to death at times. Oh, I remember being there, like, you're going to get at least two of them a game. I think the Vikings need to say, we're going to run at least four to five screens a game, maybe even on first and second now. I mean, do it out of the I formation, right? I watched, I watched, uh, I think the Vegas did it last night, right? I formation, fake the handoff, roll out, quick dump to the outside, get 10, maybe get 20, maybe a big explosive play. Um, so I think that that's something you got to go and, yeah, get Dalvin the ball. And then also I think that you got to make sure you get Thielen going a little bit. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't have that. I mean, I know, I don't think he's quite as quick and as fast as Stefan Diggs was to get the separation on the long ball. He might be overall faster than Diggs was in a straight-ahead speed, but what made Diggs get open on those fast routes so much is his quickness off the line of scrimmage immediately gave him a foot of separation, where Thielen usually gets the separation if he can get two or three strides on a guy, right? 
And so when you don't have more than two or three seconds to throw the football, that doesn't give you a ton of time to get that operation and get Thielen open. So I think you got to get Thielen on a slant. you got to get him on a, a, a low drag across on one of those play actions to just get him going and get him into a rhythm a little bit. Because it really seemed like he, after he caught that first ball, he really struggled to get in a rhythm after that. I'm going to check this number while we're talking. I want to see if Thielen has been really used in the slot at all because that's mm. that's one way to do it uh, is when – hold on. I probably just made a really loud sound in the uh, audio there. Yeah, he's only been in the slot nine times so far this year, so it hasn't been a whole heck of a lot in terms of him – you know, getting a bunch of snaps, uh, you know, from the slot. And I think that that might be one way to do it is to well, yeah, try to you move, you move into the slot. You usually get that corner. That's a true lockdown corner, not following you into the slot. You then get a nickel put on you, depending on what the formation is, which gives you a little, or maybe even a linebacker, right? You put them in a weird formation where you get them to keep base defense on the field. And then you got a, you got a will linebacker washed out over Adam ceiling. Like you take that any day of the week. And so I think that, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Get him inside of the slot because I think when we had Stephon Diggs and when we had um, other big-bodied receivers, Thielen did some work in the slot, and he did some nice jobs of getting nice catches because you get the ball in his hand, he's fast enough to go the distance. He's not going to make the highlight reel like Diggs would of making eight people miss, but I think that he's good enough. And, again, we talk about get the playmakers the ball. Those are the two guys that instantly popped to mind on this offense. Yep, 15.3% of his targets have come in the slot, which is 103rd out of 119 wide receivers. So he's been exclusively on the outside these first couple of weeks. And that was a Pat Shermer thing. Move him into the slot, one out of every three or four snaps, and then get him that separation, get him lined up against linebackers, and let him use his smarts a little, uh, Get you know, getting into space in the middle of the field. So – uh, potential solutions, I guess. And as we go along, we might have to talk about the trades and everything else. But at least for this week, do you think that there is a shot the Vikings can beat the Tennessee Titans? I think there's a shot mostly because the Titans are struggling. Um, I think if the Titans were rolling right now, it'd be it'd be pretty easy to just be like, you know, I think they're just going to come do the same thing because they've got what you call a horse at running back. <laughs> Um, and they're going to watch the tape of what Jonathan Taylor did. And, man, after watching the tape, we're lucky Jonathan Taylor's a rookie because there was a lot of reads that he just was half a step slow on or he made the wrong read, and he probably left 60 to 100 yards of rushing on the field, in my opinion, as I watched it. And it's like, dude, stick with your block. I'm just yelling at the screen, like, stick with your block. (laughs) Follow your guard. Like, don't try. It's not college. You can't cut everything back. And so, I mean, Derrick Henry doesn't do that. Derrick Henry knows how to follow – his line. He knows how to do that. And they've got some weapons on the outside, man. I mean, they've got some real weapons at receiver. I think that what we just talked about, the play action, you're going to see a bunch of that out of the Tennessee Titans this week because they're going to pound the rock with Henry and then they're going to pull it up and go deep. I mean, they're going to go deep. They're going to test the corners. I mean, T.Y. Hilton dropped a freaking drop in the bucket touchdown yep. pass yep. from Phillip Rivers. That should have been another seven points. Again, we put that on tape. So what are the Titans going to do? They're going to line up in a similar formation. They're going to do a similar play and see, did they fix that? Because that's what good coaches do. They say, did you fix this over the week? Or did you say, oh, yeah, you got this and you moved on? I think Zimmer's a good enough coach, as a defensive coach, that he's going to fix that. But they're going to test it. And they're going to say, okay, hey, Brown, go, run, do this. Can they run with you? And can Harry get there late or any of that? And so I think we're going to see a lot of that, a lot of repeats of what killed us this past week. We're going to see a lot of that before they get into their actual game plan. 
I think in the opener, you're going to see Tennessee go deep on us at least a couple times. Jeremiah Searles, Tuesday morning left guard breaking down the Vikings tape from the previous week, and I'm just sorry about that. Uh, but uh, from this no, last I'm week. It's early in the morning. <laughs> Uh, let me just say one more thing before we wrap up. Congratulations to you, sir. Your Big Ten football is back. And good, good luck with Ohio State in your first game for Nebraska. Oh, yeah. The Big Ten basically was like, oh, you guys wanted to play? Oh, <laughs> you guys wanted to raise this big stink? And, okay, have fun. Go Wisconsin or Ohio State, Wisconsin to open the season. Oh, okay. Well, at least you yeah, play. We knew what we were asking for. Right. It's better than not playing. So, uh, Jeremiah Searles will do this every Tuesday or if there's, you know, whatever, a weird situation two days after the game so you can watch the tape and break it down every single Tuesday. Tuesday morning left guard is great. And I look forward to doing it again soon, Jeremiah. Thanks, man. Hey, absolutely, man. Let's hope we get a better win this week. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible change to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, championships, all. All day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.